Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Jesus, you are our Savior, you're our King, you're our Lord and Master, and we bow before you this morning with hearts that want to sing, how great is our God. And Holy Spirit, we know that nothing of significance will happen this morning without your power, without your grace, without your working And so what I'm asking, triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, is that we would have an overwhelming sense of your power and presence this morning. As we have sung to you, our great God, we now come to the portion in our worship where you speak to us through the preaching of your word. So help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us, Help us have eyes to see what we need to see. Help us have hearts that are soft. And Lord, as we leave this place, let us live lives of worship and obedience to our great God. And it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. And as you're being seated, there seems to be a little bit of a a hum up here. Is it? Do you guys, does it sound kind of tinny? It sounds real tinny. Can we work on that a little bit to get the, the tinniness out of that? So as you're being seated, I want you to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We started the Gospel of Luke last week, and we're going to continue on for the next five or six years. No, I'm just joking. You know, seeing if you're paying attention. Five or six years. Now, we'll, we'll see how long it takes us to get through the, go- the Gospel of Luke. I want to begin by asking a question. Um, have you ever waited extremely... I still have that ringing, guys. I'm not sure if, if we're working on it. Um, have you ever waited extremely a long time to find out that, it, that there was a disappointment and you got, you got very frustrated as you had to wait for an extremely long time? How many times have you had to wait on the phone to talk to a real person. When you were trying to talk to a credit card company or maybe to um, a bank or maybe to um, your health insurance or a hospital, I think one time I counted, I was on hold for 45 minutes. And then you hear that ominous click where the phone goes dead. You're like, I've waited 45 minutes and now it went dead. Speaking of waiting a long time, Disneyland. Disney World. It's a place where you go and you wait in line. And according to the website touringplans.com, they compiled data on the longest time waiting in line at a ride at Disney World. So I want to see if you guys can guess. What's the longest time you think that was recorded, actual time of waiting in line for a ride at Disney World? Anybody want to take a guess? Not nine hours, that's a long time. <laughs> Nobody's going to wait that long. No, it was 154 minutes. 
This was on December 30th, 2015 for the Rock and Roller Coaster ride that featured the blaring music of Aerosmith. So, two hours and 34 minutes to wait in line for a ride that probably lasted 30 seconds or maybe a minute tops. Okay, speaking of waiting a long time, how many of you have ever heard of a woman named Geraldine Page? Uh, She was a famous actress. Back in 1953, she was a nominated for her first Academy Award for her role in the film Hondo. She was nominated. Okay, so she was nominated in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s. Finally, in 1985, she won Best Actress for A Trip to Bountiful. So she had the honor of being the actress to wait the longest before she got the the Academy Award from being nominated to finally winning the award 32 years. Speaking of waiting a long time, how long has Queen Elizabeth been the Queen of England? A long time. Her son, Prince Charles, is in line to be the king. Um, 1952 was when it started, when he was in line to be uh, the king. And so in 2011, he became the longest-serving heir apparent in British history. So at this point, he's waited 68 years to be king. That's a long time. Waiting a long time. It's not fun. It's frustrating. Whether you're waiting on hold to talk to some, a real person and you have to wait for 45 minutes to never get through to anybody, or waiting in the heat for a long time to ride a ride at Disney World, or you're an Academy Award-winning actress that has to wait 32 years before you finally win that award, or you're the heir apparent to the throne of England and you have to wait 68 years. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And in the proverbial words of Tom Petty, that great theologian, The waiting is the hardest part, waiting. Now, why do I bring up the frustration of waiting for a long time? Well, today, Luke introduces us to an elderly couple. I'm going to call them Zach and Liz, better known as Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist that had to wait a long time. Now, you may ask a question. Why does Luke begin with John the Baptist and not Jesus? Why does he just skip straight to Jesus? Why does Luke spend a lot of time on John the Baptist? Well, remember last week, Luke is giving us an orderly account of many eyewitnesses. And so the story of John the the Baptist is very important to to the details of Christ's life. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said this, and we'll get to this later on in Luke. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus said this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus says there's none among anyone born that's greater than John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. He's the one that's going to come and prepare the way for Jesus. And so Luke introduces us to this orderly account that doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. It starts with the announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth about the birth of their son, John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And so what we're going to see is how does God graciously work in the lives of this elderly couple, this couple that's been waiting and waiting and waiting. You may ask, what have they been waiting for? Well, we're going to look this morning, and this account unfolds for us in four scenes, four episodes. Okay, so we're going to take this in bite-sized chunks this morning. So scene one, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the pain of unmet expectations. The pain 
of unmet expectations. So let's read together Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, remember I said last week Luke's a good historian, and he tells us right from the bat that this is during the days of Herod, Herod the king. That's from 34 to 4 B.C. So this is not a myth. This is not a fairy tale. This takes place during an actual time in history when Israel is under Roman rule, and they just kind of allowed Herod to kind of be a puppet dictator in that area of the time. But I want you to understand what's going on here. God has been silent for 400 years. Okay, remember the close of the Old Testament book of Malachi. For 400 years, God has not spoken through a prophet. God has been silent. God has not done anything majorly miraculous. And so Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends on a cliffhanger. The cliffhanger is, who's this person that's going to come and prepare the way of the Lord in the spirit of Elijah? Okay, so what's the painful situation here? What's the, what's the pain of unmet expectations that Zechariah and Elizabeth are having to go through? Well, they don't have a child because she's barren. So they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a child. And they're, it says they're, they're advanced in years. And so she does not have a child. And so I need you to understand what's, what's happening in that culture. In that culture of the day, to not have a child was a terrible experience. As a matter of fact, if you were a woman in Israel and you were childless, you were thinking to yourself, I must have majorly sinned to deserve this and God must be punishing me for this. So not only does she have the pain of not having a child, she has the pain of thinking that she must have done something wrong to deserve this. Think about all the questions she had to feel from these women. Ladies gossiping behind her back. All the pain that she had to go through. That thinking about what type of sin she must have done in her life. She probably began to question God's goodness. Why isn't God blessing me with a child? How come she gets to get pregnant? I've waited for years. What have I done, God? What did I do to deserve this? What did Zachariah do to deserve this? What have we done as a couple to deserve this punishment. But Luke is very clear that their ability or inability to have children is not a matter of some secret sin that God's punishing them for. What does Luke tell us about this couple? Well, in verse 6, they were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean they were perfect, but it meant that they were good, godly Israelites. So, their inability to have children is not because God is mad at them. It's not because they have some secret sin, and it's not because God is punishing them or God is displeased. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you can think about a lot of couples who struggled to have children, going all the way back to Abraham and Sarah that waited a long time. Well, she was, what, 90 years old 
when the angel announced to her that she was going to have Isaac. You can think about Jacob's wife, Leah. She was barren, and in Genesis 29:32, she calls her barrenness an affliction, an affliction. We can think about Hannah. Hannah, who prayed for a child and the Lord blessed her with Samuel. We can think of the wife of Manoah, who was also barren, and the Lord blessed her with Samson. So here's the point that I want you to understand. It's very important. Suffering, pain, sickness, inability to have children, any type of anguish that you may be going through is not a sign that God is punishing you or that you've done something wrong or that there's some secret sin in your life. I've had people over the years come to me in tears, either because a family member was sick or something was going on in their life, and they came to me with tears and said, is God punishing me for this? Did I do something wrong to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? As a matter of fact, sometimes the most righteous people who walk with the Lord may be the ones who suffer the most. And it's not because they've done anything wrong. It's simply because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world of sin. And sometimes things just happen because we live in a fallen world and it's not your fault. And you can go along and carry the burden of this pain thinking that God's mad at you and that's not what's happening here with Elizabeth. Think about Job for a moment. Job suffered greatly. So if you read Job from beginning to end, the question that you don't want to ask is, why do people suffer? That's not the question in Job. Why do people suffer? That's not the question. The question in Job is, why do righteous people suffer? Because Job didn't do anything wrong. Elizabeth hasn't done anything wrong. So if you're going through a time of suffering, or a time of sickness, or a time of pain, the question you should not be asking is, what have I done to deserve this? God must be punishing me. God must be upset with me. That's the wrong question to ask. Instead, you should be asking, okay, I'm going through an affliction. How do I glorify God through it? And how do I trust him through this time? We will experience in our lives long periods of waiting long periods of frustration, long periods of unmet expectations. And you can respond in one of two ways. When things don't go your way and you suffer, you can begin to blame God and say, God, you must be punishing me, and you can become bitter at God. God, why are you doing this to me? That's one way you can respond. Or the other way you can respond is, Lord, this is part of life, and I'm going to trust you through it. I'm going to have joy through it. I know you're sovereign, and I'm going to... Go through this with your grace because it's your perfect will. So you can choose to blame God or you can choose to worship God. So here's the situation with Elizabeth and Zechariah. They waited a long time to have children and waited and waited and she's barren and they're way past childbearing years. And so I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of frustration in their life, a lot of pain, a lot of questioning. And the point is, if they just waited a little bit longer, God's got a plan for them. So let's see scene two. Okay? So scene two is in verses 8 through 12. This is the providence of perfect timing. 
the providence of perfect timing. Let's read this together. I just have one question. Is the air conditioning on? It is. Okay. It's getting hot up here. (laughs) Hopefully you guys are okay out there. I don't see anybody passing out. But I'm not a good judge because everybody's freezing around me, and I'm like, it's a sauna in here, and people are like, it's freezing cold. So anyway, that's a side note. The providence of perfect timing. Okay, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and Fear fell upon him. Okay, what do we know about Zechariah? He is in the lineage of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth is from the tribe of Aaron. So he's a priest. He's part of the priesthood. Now during that time, the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions or 24 classes. And so what the priests needed to do was they needed to travel to Jerusalem for times a year for those festivals okay so you had to come for passover you had to come for pentecost day of atonement the feast of booths so if you were a priest that meant that you were called up to come work at the temple twice a year for a week okay abijah where zacharias from was a lesser division so they were required to work on the eighth week of each semester And there was 24,000 priests at that time in Israel. So how did they choose them? What does Luke tell us? Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple on this particular day. And what would he do when he entered the temple? He would go and burn incense on the altar of incense. So if you remember last fall when we talked about the tabernacle and all the things there when we were going through Exodus, I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. So he goes into the Holy of Holies twice a day. So twice a day, in the morning and in the, in the, evening, in the afternoon, he would burn incense on the altar of incense. And right next to that would be the golden lamp stand. And then there would be the bread of presence on the, on the table. And so he would go in there and he would minister before the Lord. Now here's where the sovereign providence comes into play. If you were a priest and you had been chosen by lot to burn the altar of incense, you could never do it again. It was a one-time deal. So it was like the big, big shot of your career as a priest to be able to do this. So Zechariah had been waiting years and years to do this. So not only are he and Elizabeth waiting for a child, he's waiting for this golden moment to be chosen to go in and burn the incense. And so on this particular day, by lot, it's not luck, it's not random chance, it's not fate. God is orchestrating even down to the choosing of lot that Zechariah is going to go into the temple on that particular day and he's going to perform his duties. And what he would do after he finished the altar of incense in the afternoon, he would come out of the temple. The people would be praying there. He would raise his hands and he would give the Aaronic blessing. 
the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. That's what he would do. He'd come out and he'd give the blessing. That's what he was supposed to do when you came out of the temple. We're going to find out what happens here in just a moment. So by God's plan on that particular day, because God had sovereignly orchestrated it after all these years, Zechariah goes into the temple to do his priestly duty. And who shows up to him? An angel of the Lord. Gabriel. One of the few angels in the Bible that we have his name. Now, Gabriel showed up to Daniel in the Old Testament, and he's going to show up to Mary here in just a few chapters. So this is Gabriel. Now, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zechariah to go into the temple and to do this. It was the apex of his career. He'd been waiting years for this. So what's the application to us? Because you're not going to go into the temple and burn incense, okay? Here's the application for us. What you perceive as quote-unquote random coincidences or luck. In the Christian life, there's no such thing as luck. I hear a lot of Christians say, we were lucky today. No, you weren't lucky. God's sovereign hand of providence is working behind the scenes to orchestrate the details in your life. So it's on his timing, not necessarily your timing. So God's working on his plans for your life. Nothing just happens by chance. God is providentially directing your steps. There's divine appointments that are happening. And you don't see this happening, but you can trust that God is the one that's directing the paths of your life. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 16.9 says this. The heart of man plans his way, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. You may plan to do what you want to do, but ultimately the Lord's going to be the one to establish your steps. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And then Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. And then Ephesians 1, 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What Zechariah and Elizabeth perceive as to be something that's out of control. We don't have a child. We've been praying. We've been waiting. Everything's happening under God's sovereign timetable. And that's why it's frustrating to us because what do we want to do? We want things to happen on our timetable. So God is sovereignly orchestrating these events to lead up to this one day by lot when Zechariah goes in and the Lord sends Gabriel to him. So let's continue on to the next scene, scene three. This is in verses 13 through 17. The promise of an appointed messenger. Zechariah is in there. I don't want to say he's minding his own business, but he did not expect an angel to show up that day. And what does it say there in verse 12? This is what always happens when people see angels in the Bible. When Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and he fell upon, and fear fell upon him. So he freaked out. Okay, so let's pick up verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of 
Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom to the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Angel Gabriel shows up. Zechariah freaks out. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been answered. Now there's a lot of debate about what is Zechariah praying for? There's two opinions in scholarship. Some think he's praying one last time for a son. Some people think, this is Zechariah's golden moment. He gets to go into the Holy of Holies. He's next to the, to the golden lampstand, and he's next to the, to the altar of incense. He, he's in the place where he has direct connection to God. He can pray one last time for his son, and maybe God will hear him. Okay. Others think that it's way past time. Zechariah has long gone forgotten about praying for his son because he's way past... You know, his wife's way past childbearing age. Other scholars think that he's instead praying for something different. He's praying for the salvation of Israel. We don't know what he's praying for, but we do know this. Technically, when a priest entered in there, he's supposed to pray for Israel. The priest was an intermediary who was supposed to be praying for the deliverance of Israel. So we can kind of take it that it could be he's praying for both. He's praying for the deliverance of Israel, or he could be praying for a son. Okay, How does the angel answer him? Your prayer's been answered. You are going to have a child. So it's very interesting. In verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John. Those are the exact same words that that the angel gave to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17, 19, except for the change of words from Isaac to John. It's verbatim, the exact same words. So Gabriel says, you're going to have a son after all these years, and you're going to name him. I'm going to tell you what to name him. You're going to name him John. Now, those of you that are named John know what that word means. Does anybody know what the word John means? The Lord has been gracious. Or God is gracious. The Lord's been gracious. And so here's why John's name is important. It's only by sovereign grace that this couple's going to have a baby. What's the condition of this couple? They're old. They are helpless. They're way past childbearing age. If there's going to be any type of of, of event happen in their life that's going to be miraculous like having a child, it's going to be because of God's grace. Remember how Isaac's name was called laughter because when the angel said to Sarah, you're going to have a child, and she laughed? That's why Isaac was called laughter here You're going to have a child, Zechariah, because God is gracious. God is merciful. And and so much so, Zechariah, that in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. There's going to be a lot of joy surrounding the birth of this son. And verse 15, he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's interesting. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That's God's sovereign grace right there because John John hasn't done anything good or bad yet. He's not even born to even deserve this, so God's going to do something miraculous. He's going to fill John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit before he even comes out of his mother's womb. So he's going to be an anointed man 
You could say even before birth. And so when he comes out of the chutes, he's got the Holy Spirit all over him already because it's been in the womb. So what is he going to do in the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember last week when we did the introduction, we said the Holy Spirit shows up all through the Gospel of Luke. He talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other of the Gospels. What's John the Baptist going to do in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, God's been silent for 400 years, right? God has not spoken through a prophet. Malachi ends on a cliffhanger. So let's just go back to Malachi for a moment. The last book of the Old Testament, the, the last few chapters of that book, in Malachi 3.1, <coughs> the Lord says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to send a messenger to prepare the way. John the Baptist, you are going to be the messenger that's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. We see that in verse 16 and 17 there. Gabriel's quoting from Malachi, saying, your son's going to come like Elijah. Now, historically, Elijah, really, Elijah never died. He was taken up in a whirlwind. So this messenger is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah for the specific purpose of preparing the way for Jesus. So John the Baptist's role is to come like Elijah. Now, when you go back and you read Elijah in your Old Testament, he did a lot of miracles. More miracles surrounding Elijah than a lot of other people. You don't see miracles happening with John the Baptist. So how is he going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit and yet not do a lot of miracles like Elijah. What's going to be the role of John the Baptist if he's going to be anointed in the Spirit? What's going to be his role? Well, his ministry is going to be one of preaching a message of repentance. Notice the key word there. He will turn. Verse 16, he will turn, cause to repent many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the power of Elijah to turn, to cause to repent the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just. We'll find out more about John the Baptist's preaching, but let me just say it this way. God's goal for you every Sunday when you come to this place to hear preaching is so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you to turn your heart, to repent. Because we all walk in here each week with sin in our lives, with things in our lives that, from which we need to turn. We need to repent. And so it's very important that we come here on Sunday mornings to hear preaching from God's Word so that the Holy Spirit can use that to turn our hearts towards the Lord. Now, John the Baptist is going to have a specific role here. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Now, this is what gets very convicting to us as fathers because I'll be the first to stand up and say I've not been the greatest father at times. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of sinful things that we as fathers have done over the years. But let me just remind you of Colossians 3.21. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So fathers, let me just talk to you just for a moment this morning. Men who are fathers, is your heart soft towards your wife? Is your heart soft towards your children? Do you have a repentant, soft heart towards the ones that God has called you to minister to the most in your life? If not, then let's pray about repenting this morning, that all of our hearts would be turned. Not just fathers. He says they're the disobedient would be turned to the wisdom of the just. So John the Baptist is going to come preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit a message of repentance that people need to soften their hearts and turn toward Christ. And that's what happens when you are exposed to God's word or or when God's word exposes you. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Okay, so what have we seen so far here this morning? An elderly couple, Zach and Liz, who've waited years and years for a child. And I'm sure that they're, the text doesn't say they got bitter, but we can, we can see the frustration, the angst of, of, of wanting a child and waiting all these years. And then, late in life, something that Zachariah has waited for forever, he gets called up by lot to go into the temple to burn the incense. And what he thinks is going to be an exciting time, wow, I get to go in and finally do this, Gabriel, the angel, shows up to him, freaks him out and says, you're going to have a child. Now, that's crazy enough, but your child, Zechariah, is going to be the one that Malachi prophesied is going to be the forerunner, the preparer of the Messiah. So it's not just going to be any child you're going to be bearing, your wife's going to be bearing, it's going to be the one that's going to come prepare the way for Messiah. So after 400 years of silence, this is about as miraculous as you could get. An angel speaking the very words of God to a man in the temple of all places, in the Holy of Holies, telling him he's going to have a miraculous birth of a child. That's pretty miraculous. So let's see scene four. The paradox of two responses. This is where it gets a little funny, comical. Let's just read verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news, to preach to you the gospel. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home. Okay, this is why it's kind of funny. What's Zachariah been waiting for his whole life? A child. And what happens at that moment where he's in the Holy of Holies doing something he's waited his whole life to do to burn the altar on the incense? Gabriel the angel shows up to him, and what does he say? You're going to have a child. 
And not just any old child, you're going to have a child that's going to be in the spirit of Elijah to come and to prepare the way of the Lord. And so what does Zechariah do? He does not believe the angel. He does not believe God's word. What does he say? How am I going to know this? Verse 18. I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Okay, angel, prove this to me. You're talking crazy because I'm kind of old and my wife is old. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. God's been silent for 400 years. You're in the temple of all places, in the holy of holies. You're a priest. And Gabriel, the angel, comes to you and says, you're going to have a child. And Zachariah says, I don't believe you. And so what does the angel say? The angel says, listen, Gabriel, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I was sent directly by God to speak from God to you, so I'm speaking on behalf of God. And here's what's going to happen. Because you did not believe me, I'm going to strike you mute. You're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. So what does that mean? Well, we don't know when she's going to conceive, but we at least know it's going to be nine months where he's not going to be able to speak. Now, you may think, well, that's kind of a harsh thing to happen. He seemed like, you know, when an angel shows up, it's not that big of a deal to ask a question. Why in the world would he be mute? Well, some people would call this a severe mercy or God's gracious discipline upon a man that should have known better. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. What was Zechariah supposed to do when he came out of the temple? He was supposed to pronounce a blessing. Now he's heard the message. He's probably excited beyond all belief that he's going to have a child, and not only a child, but a child that's going to announce the Messiah. So somehow Gabriel know, or Gabriel has announced to him, the Messiah is coming. What has Israel waited for 400 years? Their Messiah. Zechariah has been told directly that the Messiah is coming, and he comes out, and what can he not do? He can't share the gospel. He can't can't share the greatest news that's ever been announced for the past 400 years. He comes out and he just uses hand motions. He can't speak. Now, I wonder about you. How excited are you to tell other people about Jesus, but you choose to close your mouth? Not because you've been struck mute by Gabriel the angel, but because you choose to close your mouth. How often do we not speak the gospel to others with excitement? So I said earlier, there are situations in life where you suffer and it's not your fault and God's not punishing you. That's the case with Elizabeth earlier when she could not have children. There was nothing, there was no sin in her life. This was not a punishment. Here, it's different. This is a disciplinary action from a man who didn't believe God's word from an angel. So God disciplined Zechariah by striking him mute. We know from Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. So it's interesting, Zechariah's response is, I don't believe this. I don't believe you, angel. Okay, what's his wife's response? Well, let's keep reading the last two verses here, verses 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. 
And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among my people. How does she respond? I believe. God is good. God is gracious. God's taken away my, my reproach. The Lord is to be praised. So here's the point for us. Whatever God says to you in his word, just believe it. Don't hesitate when you receive a promise from God. Praise God that he's been gracious in your life. That's what the name John means. God is gracious. So what do we need to hear this morning from this passage of scripture about this old couple that waited and waited and waited? Well, if you're going through a time of suffering right now, rejoice in God's goodness instead of blaming him and becoming bitter. You can choose to be bitter and blame God or you can choose to accept what God has for you and rejoice and trust him through that no matter what type of pain it is you're going through. If you're waiting for a long time for God to answer your prayer or you're waiting a long time for God's answer, remember his timing is perfect and he's working all things out for your good. You may have to wait a little bit longer until God gives you the answer, but God's timing is perfect. If your heart is stubborn today and your heart is hard today and your heart needs to be softened today, realize that the reason that you come and hear preaching from God's word is that the Holy Spirit would turn your heart towards repentance. And so some of you this morning may need to repent. You may need to have your heart turned toward the Lord. And if you're not believing God's word, because for whatever reason, maybe you doubt it, maybe you fear it, Maybe you really don't believe it. Believe his word. Trust in his goodness today. So act in faith on what you hear. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Hear the word of the Lord and act on faith. Pray for a soft heart. Pray for repentance. Pray for God to help your own belief. And pray for patience. And believe like Elizabeth and Zechariah experienced firsthand. God is good. God is gracious. God is faithful. But it's in his timing. And the greatest news we can hear this morning is what the angel announced to Zechariah. Verse 19. I've come to you to preach to you the good news. A Messiah is coming, Zechariah. The time is now. Your son's going to announce the way of the Messiah. What would the Messiah come and do? Well, we know Jesus would come and he would die on the cross. He would be buried in a tomb. And three days later, he would rise again so that we could have forgiveness of sins and we could have eternal life. So the greatest message we could hear today is the same message that Zechariah heard. The Messiah is coming. Zechariah heard it as the Messiah is coming. We hear it as he's come, he's died, he's risen. He's coming back. Believe in him. So John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. You've seen it in action here this morning in the scriptures. So now it's your responsibility by faith to leave this place believing the promises of God, placing your trust in him, and trusting in his goodness. <clears throat> and why does God do everything? Whether you believe it or not, here's why God does everything. If you're a Christian, 
He does it for your good, and he does it for his glory. Now, that may not seem like it makes sense to you, because what you're going through may not feel good. But God does all things for those who love him, for our good and for his glory. And those two things are never at odds. So the question you should be asking yourself is, Lord, whatever's going to bring you the most glory, that's what I want. It may not feel good, but it's for my good, and ultimately it's for your glory. Let's bow our heads this morning and pray to the Lord. Maybe some here this morning that have unmet expectations where they have been waiting for a long time for an answer. Or maybe they're going through a painful experience in their life right now. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a a struggle. And they're finding it very hard to trust you, Lord. I pray that you would not let them give in to bitterness, but Lord, give them joy. Give them the grace to be able to trust you through this, that you're good, that your timing is perfect. Lord, if there are those in this room that need to repent, to have their hearts turned towards you, or maybe some parents that have, need to have their hearts softened towards their children, or maybe spouses that need to have their hearts turned toward each other, would you do that work this morning? We're thankful for this episode in Scripture where we see your faithfulness to this elderly couple. Lord, help us to trust in your goodness. Help us to trust in your timing. Help us to know that you do all things for our good and for your glory. And may we always trust in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.